Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company. Great to be here with you on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in the Highfield. Um, and yes, uh, cruising up on the latter part of the month of January already. Believe it or not, this year 2020 seems to be flying by even quicker than uh, 2019 or 18 or 17 before that uh, flew by. But it's back to basics here on Judaism 101.9. And uh, perhaps today to just provide a little bit of information because um, I certainly was quizzed the other day um, by people wanting to know more about something called the Siyum Hashas. Siyum Hashas that took place in, um, in New Jersey, in uh, New York, in the United States a uh, short while ago. In fact, right at the beginning of 2020, there was this massive, massive um, event that happened in a huge stadium, over 90,000 people getting together to celebrate a great event for the whole Jewish world. And in fact, it was celebrated all over the world. But um, I'm not sure if everybody knows what Siyum Hashas actually means. What is a Siyum? Well, a Siyum, that's the easy part, a Siyum is a completion when one completes. Oh, so we know that it was a big festive and wonderful occasion for the completion. But what is shas? What does it mean when we talk about shas? And what is the difference perhaps between shas and Talmud? What's the difference? Is there a difference between the shas and the Talmud? Are we talking about the same thing? What about words that are bandied around Gemara? Have you ever thought about what is Gemara, what is Mishnah, what are these things, and what are we actually talking about and um, it's often just assumed that everybody knows exactly what they actually all mean, so much so that um, <coughs> many many rabbis, and uh, probably self included, often refer to, we say what it says in the Gemara, but people aren't quite sure, and perhaps are a bit afraid to ask actually, Rabbi what is the Gemara? What is Gemara? What does it mean when you say there is a Gemara that says? What does it mean when you say we learned this in the Talmud or the Talmud says? What does that actually mean? What are we talking about? So perhaps today just to define some of these terms to think about what actually the Talmud is, what actually the Gemara is, what actually Shas is, and uh, perhaps we can go away from this session of Judaism 101.9, just a little bit more enlightened as to what these terms actually are, and hopefully we can fill in a couple of gaps in um, and some interesting information about the Shas, about the Talmud, about the Gemara, and so on. So let's begin by saying, you know, if you're dealing in a Christian kind of an environment, in a non-Jewish sort of environment, there is always the tendency to quote from the Bible, to say the Bible says, and uh, they'll often quote a chapter and a verse. It says in chapter this verse that, that um, such and such happened, such and such occurred, or this is the law. You very rarely hear that in uh, Jewish speak, in Jewish terms, because we all know that the basic 
um, idea of or the basic platform upon which all of Jewish thinking and learning is based is what we would term the Bible, the Torah, um, the five books of Moses, and then, of course, the rest of what we call the Tanakh. Of course, the Tanakh is made up of Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, and therefore the word Tanakh. And this forms what we call the written Torah. Now, we all um, understand that from a Jewish point of view, hopefully, um, the Torah did not end there. It's not a defined and finite book that starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and ends with uh, being in the front of the eyes of the children of Israel as the five books of Moses conclude or um, with the rest of the prophets and the rest of the later writings that are canonized into that Tanakh um, uh, compilation, which we refer to as the written Torah. But there was a lot more to Torah than that. Because the Torah itself, if we think about it, is rather cryptic. It is almost impossible to uh, live a Jewish life or to live a life at all and base oneself purely on what it says in the written part of the Torah because there are so many different ways, perhaps, of interpreting just about everything that um, it would make for an impossible um, venture to uh, think about living like that. It is clear that when the Torah was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses at Mount Sinai, that that was not the be-all and end-all. That wasn't it. The uh, Torah was actually <coughs> given in several different modes, let's call it. The first one was there were the Ten Commandments, which were letters that were engraved in stone. The second was that there were letters written on parchment, the ink on parchment, which was what we would call the Torah itself. And then... There was a lot that Moshe obviously had to question God on and know exactly what you're talking about. What do we mean when we say you should wear them as frontlets between the eyes? They needed a description. Moshe needed a description of the fact that that was what we call tefillin and what it contains and how it should be and where it should sit on the head and where it should be on the arm and how we put it on and when we wear it and when we take it off and so on. All of these things had to be expounded upon, as with just about every other sentence and every other law and every other dimension of the written Torah. That was all what we refer to as being the oral Torah. Oral because it was given to Moshe orally. Now, interestingly enough, a large tract, a large part of the oral Torah is today actually written down. And it's written down, and it was written down, over a period of time, as we will explain soon. It was written down primarily in a, a sequence and in a section and in various sections of Jewish thinking and Jewish law and Jewish tradition that we would call the Talmud. That's where it was actually eventually written down. Most of it, all of it, in fact, was part of what we would call the oral law or the oral tradition, the oral Torah. And that is the bulk of what we refer to as the Talmud. Now, the word Talmud means, from the word, of course, lomed, meaning to learn or to teach, lilmod, or a Talmud, meaning a pupil or a student, 
Talmud, of course, is the compilation of all these teachings, of all these learnings, and of all the Talmidei Chachamim, the wise students of uh, Torah, who have added their weight and added their thoughts to this massive, massive compilation that, in fact, covers 2,711 Double-sided pages, so we're talking all in all over four thousand, uh, over five thousand four hundred pages of law, of tradition, of explanation, of expounding upon Jewish thinking, Jewish ideas, and Jewish thought, and that makes up what we call loosely the Talmud. We'll be back after this to explain a little bit more. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. We've been talking about Shas. We've been talking about Talmud. We've been talking about what all these names actually mean and what is the Talmud? What actually does it comprise of? Well, the Talmud is loosely made up of two major sections. There is what we call Mishnah and then what is known as Gemara. Now, if we think about what the word Mishnah actually means, the Mishnah is a teaching or a law, and the Mishnah was canonized, it was put together shortly after the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash by a great sage by the name of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. He canonized it. He took all of the this wealth of learning and this wealth of teaching that had been done by the great sages um, and he put it together into what was known as the, the the Mishnah, the Tractates of Mishnah. And the Tractates of Mishnah are divided into six seg- segments, six great sections. And therefore, it became known as the Shisha Sidre Mishnah, or Shas, Shisha Sidre. You get it? Shas, meaning six Seders, six orders of Mishnah. Each Mishnah was carefully worded and carefully, carefully um, <coughs> put into the most fulfilling and the most cryptic and the most beautiful language in Hebrew. And it became the body of Jewish law, of the oral Jewish law. In other words, it took the basis of everything that was in the Torah, all the laws, all the ideas and ideals of the written Torah itself. And here it transported into more workable language and in a more workable work what exactly we learn from each part and from each law and from each idea and ideal. And this was all put together by this great sage, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah, the prince, as he was known, in round about the year 189 um of uh, the common era so well almost 2000 years ago what then happened was that over a period of time Gemara was added to this work to make up the Talmud now the word Gemara actually is from the word Gamar which means to complete if one takes a look at Mishnayot if one takes a look at the Mishnah Anybody who has ever studied it understands and knows, as we already indicated, that it's written in very cryptic language. And the cryptic language 
makes it rather difficult for an outsider, for a student just coming to uh, the study of it, to really understand, A, what it means, what it's saying, and to understand the deep implications and the reasons why each and every word that is in the Mishnah was actually chosen. Why did they use this word and not that word? Why? What did they mean by their cryptic lineup of um, uh, various dimensions in a particular verse or particular sentence of that Mishnah or in a particular Mishnah or in a particular chapter? What actually was meant? There is a wealth of knowledge and depth that needs to actually be unpacked. Mishnah is not light reading, um, nor for that matter is Gemara, is Talmud. But it is very cryptic, it is very succinct, it is very concise. And with not only hand-picked words, but let's call it soul-picked words, the words were so carefully chosen to be put into these sentences and into the Mishnayot, into these Mishnas and into these various tractates and then into these various orders as they are known, the Shisha Sidre, to form what is known as the Shas of Mishnayot, the six tractates of Mishnah. The Gemara itself is written in Aramaic. So the Mishnah, Hebrew, Gemara, Aramaic. Aramaic, of course, was the spoken language of the time. It was a combination of Hebrew, so it's all done, of course, in Hebrew lettering, and many of the words are, let's call them Hebraicized, or let's rather refer to them perhaps as being Hebrew letters that have got a little bit of an angle on them. They've been, um, for want of a better word, Babylonianized, because it was primarily in Babylon that um, most of this great work was done. And the spoken language, the way that the people were conferring, that they were talking, because there was a reluctance to actually speak to each other in Hebrew, all of this became known as the Gemara. It was recorded, it was written down, it was transcribed, and eventually it was added in to a combination that you would have the Mishnah, and then you would have all the discussions about it. So it's often termed that the Gemara is the interpretations of the Mishnah. Well, maybe it's the interpretations, but it's a lot more than that. Because it's all the discussions, really, that were recorded, that were held, of the various different rabbis and their various different opinions and their various different logics and their way of thinking that is all then tabulated. It is all put out in a conversation. Most of Talmud is conversations. It is... um the Gemara is people talking to each other. One person gives his opinion and somebody says, no, I think you're wrong. It maybe should be interpreted like this. And another one says, no, maybe like that. And then a, th- a fourth one will say, I remember that my father or my teacher or my great Rebbe, my great rabbi, my great um, leader of my academy taught this verse and this idea and this law in this way. And somebody else says, no, but I thought that I think that he said it that way. And then it um, pans out into this huge, long, complicated and very, very fascinating conversation. But with each word of that conversation, there are pearls of wisdom, pearls of teaching, and each part of it can teach one something else. Each part of it has 
there is nothing, uh, not one single word of the Gemara of the Talmud that is not perfectly picked and not ideally suited um, to make it into this incredible work with a depth of knowledge and a depth of understanding and a depth of um, of life that each and every word actually contains. So we have this combination then of Mishnah and Gemara, the Gemara being the completion, actually forming together what we know as the Talmud and what is also then known loosely as the Shas, the Shisha Sidre. <clears throat> so if you were to take a look at a page of Talmud, and it's not on every page that a Mishnah occurs, but it's kind of lined up then in the way that the Talmud is set out. You have a piece of a Mishnah, you have a Mishnah, and that Mishnah then is followed by the Gemara, the completion of that, that is its elucidation, interpretation, and conversation of the great sages of the Talmudic era as they went through each and every detail that was necessary for us to know relating to that Mishnah. And some of it seems so far away and some of it seems so removed from that particular Mishnah. But if we follow the thread we um, and we study it intently and intensely, we eventually do understand the link between that Mishnah and that Gemara. Sometimes the Gemara is short. So in other words, the elucidation or interpretation or conversation is rather short. And sometimes it can go on for pages upon pages upon pages on one particular Mishnah that uh, could carry on for several pages until we come to the conclusion of that Gemara and then go on to the next Mishnah uh, within that tractate, within that segment. The Talmud is divided into many, what I've been referring to as tractates. Tractates is a section of Jewish law. There is a tractate that deals, for instance, with all the laws of Yom Kippur. It is known as the tractate Yuma. There is a tractate that deals with all the things that are relevant to Rosh Hashanah. It's called the tractate of Rosh Hashanah. There is a tractate that deals with all the blessings that we're supposed to make, and that is called brachot, and so on. There are um, rules and regulations that are, uh, or tractates that deal with the rules and regulations that pertain to uh, purchasing and buying and business and so on. There are tractates that deal with purity and impurity. There are tractates that deal with um, the bringing of sacrifices to the temple. There are tractates that deal with Shabbat and so on and so forth. This is how the Talmud and these Gemurras and this whole Shas, this whole Shisha Sidre are actually um, uh, divided up and how they form together this huge, huge, classical, brilliant work called the Talmud, called the Shas, Mishnah, Gemara, all combined together. Now, over a long period of time, since the putting together of the Talmud, and since its canonization, and since its, um, um, its, its, its being combined into what we know as the Talmud, Many, many commentators, many later commentators, um, were added. And so you have several pages, reams of um, a wealth of information of different great 
sages over a period of many, many centuries who uh, were, it was felt were great enough and their interpretations huge enough to be added in and to have later interpretations that were added there. And, of course, you have all the classical interpretations. It was felt that the greatest um, 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 interpreter of uh, Jewish law um, was the famous sage called Rashi, um, who his um, script and his interpretation of each part of the Mishnah and the Talmud appears on every page of the Gemara, of the Talmud, or on just about every page of the Talmud. And then you have various other, um, um, what are known as the Tosafot, or many of them were grandchildren, were um, descendants of Rashi, great sages whose interpretations were added actually on the page of Talmud. So you have a page of Talmud which runs as a script down the center of the page. You have these various interpretations on either side of it, sort of the notes on the side, and then you have a lot of the interpretations added at the back of most tractates of um, of Talmud in order to form this great and incredible work called the Talmud. As we said, over 5,400 pages of Talmud, and therefore one can understand how when we talk about a seal mashas, the completion of it, that it, um, if you're going to be studying two pages a day, it'll take you over seven years, and that's the commitment that so many people made to studying this um, shas, to studying the Talmud in depth over a period of more than seven years, and a couple of pages, it's not light reading, it would take, um, if not an hour a day, sometimes several hours a day in order to be able to complete it and to keep up with uh, the pace of uh, doing this, what is known as a duff of Gemara, a duff a day or a page a day, but really it is two pages, two sides of one um, folio of one page of the Talmud. So an incredibly, incredibly powerful and incredibly big, huge work called the Talmud, called the Shas, Shisha, Sidre, and also known loosely as the Gemara, the Talmud. Be back with you right after that. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Anybody with any um, knowledge of the land of Israel, and particularly even if you've been following the news lately, you will know that um, water is a huge commodity in Israel. It's spoken about very often. And of course, the main source of water in Israel is the Galilee. Now, water is often compared to Torah. And it was in the area of the Galilee, up in the north of Israel, round Tiberias, the city on the banks of the Galilee, up in the north of Israel, where great sages got together and sat and discussed and canonized and put together all of the um, works and the ideas and the thoughts that they had in one central school of thought up there in the Galilee, in the Talmudic era. At the same time, there was actually a bigger and stronger and uh, different school who were in Babylon. And actually, if we really go into what the Talmud is and what is actually the Talmud, it's may surprise you to know that there are really two Talmuds. There is the Babylonian Talmud, or otherwise called, and you may see it written on the books, called Talmud 
Bavli. This is the Talmud, the teachings of the Babylonian sages or the sages who fled to and were exiled to Babylon. And then the Jerusalem Talmud, the one that was from the land of Israel, while it wasn't actually in Jerusalem. It was close to Yerushalayim, close to Jerusalem, up in the north of Israel in Tiberias. In fact, though, if we loosely refer today to the Talmud or we loosely refer to the Gomorrah, it is referring actually to the Babylonian Talmud, which was much more um, full. The Jerusalem Talmud um, didn't cover every single subject that the Babylonian Talmud did. The schools of thought were different. The ways of thinking were different. But um, the most widely accepted and the greatest um, uh, work actually came through and from what is known as the Babylonian Talmud. And therefore, as I said, when people refer to the Talmud or when they refer to um, the Gemara, they're referring actually to the Babylonian Talmud. That's the big one. That's the one that people study. That's the one that they made the Siyum Hashas on. That is the one that um, you will see actually in shuls and libraries and so on. Um, those 5,422 pages of Talmud, that is the Babylonian Talmud. Now in the Talmud itself, there are actually also two different Levels of rabbis. There are people that are known as Tanaim, a Tana, and there are people who are known as Amoraim. Really, it's actually got to do with uh, the period of time that uh, they lived and that they taught. Um, there are Tanaim, Tanaim are people who lived and taught at the time of the Mishnah. So, in other words, they were earlier. Their authority was regarded to be greater. They were kind of closer to Mount Sinai, um, if we want to take it in a chronological order from the time that the Torah was given to us at Mount Sinai. They had a much purer vision and a much purer version of Torah in its purest form. They are known as Tanaim. A Tana is a great sage living and teaching at the time of the Mishnah. An Amora is someone who was from the Gomorrah times, in other words, later on in history. In uh, the centuries that actually came after Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, um, those people were known as Amoraim. But they together um, are often quoted and sometimes interchangeably and sometimes it's almost as though they're arguing with each other, even though they may have lived in different periods. Tanaim and Amoraim, the rabbis that make up the basis of the opinions, the ideas and ideals that are transported and transferred to us through the Gemara, through the Talmud. Back with you right after that. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. If you were to walk into any yeshiva anywhere in the world, and a yeshiva being, of course, a house of learning, a place of um, sitting, the word yeshiva is from the word shave, which means to sit, the idea of sitting and learning and studying, you'll notice a couple of things. First of all, that the main subject that is studied is Talmud. It forms the bulk of yeshiva study in any yeshiva anywhere in the world. Um, 
an inordinate amount of time is spent here in this focus because this is really the bulk of what uh, Jewish thinking and Jewish logic and Jewish teaching and uh, the history and uh, then some is all contained in the Talmud. So Talmudic learning is done usually in what we call a chavruta, chavrusa. They sit People sit next to each other or opposite each other, and it is done with uh, four eyes and two heads and people arguing back and forth. And, in fact, the place is noisy. Talmud is studied in a noise. Talmud is studied with swaying to and fro. Talmud is studied in a vibrant, lively, argumentative um, uh, fashion. This is actually the... A way that the Talmud is framed, it actually is arguments, it is discussion, and it needs to be fleshed out in this way. And you need to start, you need to get into the uh, the life and the passion with which these arguments are put forward. And this, in fact, is the style of uh, Talmud study um, that takes place, as I said, in yeshivas uh, around the world. So it's not light reading. And it's something that needs to be fleshed out. It's something that needs to be argued. Uh, one needs to get into the logic of it. One needs to understand the thinking. And it actually then starts to impact and influence the way that we think and the way that we live and the way that we teach. We've got to remember that the idea of learning Talmud is not for an academic study. It is meant to actually teach us behaviors and the way to fashion our lives and ultimately to make our world a far better place. So we need to remember that bottom line, um, there are actually two real divergent uh, processes of schools of thought in uh, learning whatever it is that we learn. One is that uh, one could enable oneself to become or try to become the master of Torah, to actually master Torah study. But the higher level, perhaps, is to allow the Torah to master you. And is that not ultimately what Jewish learning and Jewish teaching is really all about? Hopefully we can enable our learning to master us, that it governs our lives rather than the other way around. Look forward to being back with you again, same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9. And this is Rabbi Michael Katz wishing you that you should have a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. And I'll see you soon. Please go next week, same time, same place.